Father, we love you today. Thank you for your blessings upon us, your goodness to us. We ask that you would minister to us today and help us to grow in our relationship with you. Give us understanding and wisdom, knowledge of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. You may be seated. Um, I may be uh, jumping the gun a little bit here because I'm, I got something I'm working on. But uh, a lot of times, as the Lord has given me something, if I have an opportunity to teach it, he begins to fill in the blanks. So, we're going to do that. Uh, I'm going to give you a title. Uh, Biblical Guidelines to Relationship Success. Now, I didn't say specifically relationship with God, but that is the primary application of these things. But most of them will work uh, in human relationships. Okay? So I'm going to move kind of fast. Um, and I'll be reading quite a bit of scripture uh, whoever's on the computer I can't wait on you so you're going to have to go as fast as you can okay I'm going to start with John chapter 7 verses 28 through 29 then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught saying ye both know me and you know whence I am and I am not come of myself But he that sent me is true, whom ye know not. But I know him. But I know him. For I am from him. He hath sent me. And then John 8, uh, beginning with verse 54. Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father that honoreth me, of whom ye say, that he is your God, yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say, I know him not, I shall be like a liar unto you. But I know him, and keep his saying. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and was glad. So, there's a lot of other verses, but I just felt to choose these two. Uh, I want you to notice the emphasis Jesus has put here on the man Christ Jesus knowing the Father. And obviously, this isn't like saying, well, you know who President Obama is, or you know who Tom Cruise is. Uh, that's one of the problems that these media stars have, uh, like actors, uh, is that you watch them act on a screen and you begin to identify with that person in your emotions and then you think you know that person 
and then you hear stuff about them that's contrary to what you thought you knew about them because it's too easy to forget they were playing a part that has nothing to do who they really are. So we have a very broad definition today of what it means to know someone. But biblically, spiritually, uh, knowing someone is much more... Uh, it's much more narrowly defined than that. Thank you. Much more narrowly defined. Knowing someone means you, you, you've learned what they like, what they don't like. Uh, you, you, you have some idea what their favorite color is. You have some idea what their priorities are. And of course, in, in many times the uses, use of the word know in the scripture implies a relationship that includes a relationship of love. You're loving someone. So Jesus said this beginning in John 14 verse 5. I'm going to read a little bit here. Uh, Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whence thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me. You see, you see how narrowly he defines the word know here. They had spent day and night with him for three years, but did not know him. They didn't know who he was. If ye had known me, ye should have known my father also, and from henceforth know ye him and have seen him. Philip saith to him, Lord, show us the father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus said, saith unto him, have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, show us the Father? And again, if it was possible for these men to spend three day, uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for three years with him and not know him, then it is possible for people to come to church two or three times a week sit through worship services and preaching sessions and not know him. So again, what what I'm trying to do before I go forward here is to help you understand how narrowly the Scripture defines this. Because you and I could could go sit in... uh, uh, the same room together for 24 hours and not know anything more about each other at the end of that 24 hours than we did before. Because knowing includes communication. It includes communication with an, the interest of finding out about the other person more than talking about yourself. It's knowing that. You know, I've had 
people say to me over the years, how in the world can God expect one man and one woman to stay together their entire lives? I mean, wouldn't that get boring? <laughs> boring is not exactly the word I would choose there. Uh, challenging. Challenging. Especially from the male to the female part. Because the Lord did make ladies different. It's not just gender. Their DNA is different. They think different. They see stuff differently. I'm not saying one's better or worse. God made her second. You'd think he would have done better the second time, right? That's what I think. I see a lot of uh, things in women that aren't in men. I mean, you know, most men I know are primarily single-focused guys, you know, if I don't, if I'm not careful when I'm eating, I'll eat all of this and then move to this and then move to this and then move to this and move. You know, I, I have to, fo- I have to remind myself you, it's polite to eat a little bit, kind of work around the, the plate. I, I have to remind my, I consciously remind myself to do that. Women are born created multitaskers. And of course, Sometimes men have a problem with women because they don't seem to be able to focus on one thing because that's not the way they're created. Of course, women are really, 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 really get frustrated with men because they are not multitaskers. And, of course, ladies are very happy when they get that single focus on something they want that man to be focused on. Now, that's happy, right? Because uh, when that guy gets focused on whatever it is she wants him focused on, he gives everything, because he doesn't know any other way, so he gives everything he's got to that one focus. But the problem is she's learned him if she's been around him very long. There's no such thing as ADD. It's Part of it's being male. I guess there's ADD females, and God help you. But, you know, we, we, we stay focused. Men are focused on one thing, but we get bored, with that one thing. So we're going to move on to something else. And uh, that's why the Lord made the woman so interesting and challenging and unfathomable to a man. Because there's, it's not boring. <laughs> uh, and when you first are involved in a relationship, and I mean like the first ten years, you, this, this, this changeableness, you, you think it's accidental that it's some flaw until you begin to watch it really close and realize it's a strategy. It's deliberate. I'm talking about knowing someone. And again, if the Lord chose, and he did, the number one relationship, natural relationship the Lord chose to be the living example of the spiritual relationship between God and man, God and humans, is the marriage relationship. 
It's the marriage relationship. And if he chose the marriage relationship, then it has in the natural a very similar potential as the husband-wife relationship has when it is fulfilled according to his plan, according to his intentions, what he expects to come out of it, what he expects the result of it to be. So he says, you've been with me all this time, Philip. You don't even know me. You don't know who I am. Verse 10, believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but of the, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. I was uh, teaching in the, uh, some of you brethren were here. I was teaching in the, uh, the uh, men's conference a couple weeks ago here, uh, the d- district men's conference, and I was talking about some of the differences between males and females, and I'm looking at, uh, it's, it was really basic stuff. I mean, it was stuff I've said most of that here forever and it was really basic stuff and i'm looking at a few guys well more than a few guys unfortunately married guys looking like this is the most wondrous stuff i've ever heard and i'm going oh god how are you and your wife still together if you don't have any clue to any of this i don't know how you're doing that and 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 i i know people mean well and so guys were oh Brother, right, that was just so great. And, and they don't realize what they're saying to me in my, in my mind. They're incriminating themselves. That's exactly what they're doing. If you, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about young guys. If it was young guys, okay, okay, I understand. Young guys don't know this stuff. Young guys think they know everything and know nothing. That's why you need a wife to teach you you know nothing. Praise God. Hallelujah. <laughs> and they're good at it. <laughs> but they, these guys, I mean, you know, some of them were in their 40s and 50s. Oh, brother, right, that's wonderful stuff. And I'm saying, are you a newly, I'm thinking to myself, are you a newlywed? I mean, most guys that are paying attention would learn some of this. Almost by accident, if you're still living under the same roof and not killing each other every day. Oh, praise God. Believest thou, verse 10 again. <laughs> Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sakes. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. Can, can I really truly put my trust in somebody I don't know? I can say I believe in them, but what am I believing in? Am I believing in the concept of a God, or am I believing in God himself? The word, the word believe means to trust in, rely on, to cling to. Are, can you really do that with somebody you don't know? Or is that really the reason why our walk with God is so inconsistent and unfulfilling because 
we're walking with someone we do not know. Verse 12 again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because they go unto my Father. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep And he didn't say if you fear me. He didn't say if you want to go to heaven. He didn't say if you don't want to go to hell. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. What is he saying here? That to truly live the way the Lord wants us to live, it has to be based on relationship. I was talking to a brother the other day. I remember it. Some of you were here. Thank God you survived it. I was shocked at many who didn't. January 1991, beginning in about middle of January of 91 through the end of May, I preached on knowing Jesus and relationship with Jesus every single service. I was excited about this stuff. I wasn't, I wasn't hammering it, uh, it, from my opinion, a negative, I was trying to let people know what they could have and, 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 you know, this is what it was really all about. I was shocked at some of the people that had been here so long and some of them were senior leadership who walked away because I did not know as their pastor that they were doing what they were doing because they were obeying me, not because they knew Jesus. And many of them had come from dysfunctional uh, homes and they had made me, without any discussion with me, of course, their father figure. And so, you know, we kind of grew up together and we were, God was doing all this awesome stuff. And now all of a sudden, I'm saying it doesn't matter how well you dot the I's and cross the T's. If you don't know him, it's not good enough. And they walked away. And this person said to me, yeah, he, and he named a particular person that, that had started coming to this church when he was 16, like almost all the way back in the beginning. God loves me to this day, loves me, loves my wife. And he says, you know why he's not here? Because he's angry. He's angry because people aren't being made to do what he was made to do. He said, the guy doesn't realize we don't believe and preach anything different today than we always have. I said, yeah, but the approach is different. And you may not, well, you may know some that are out there. They're not coming because they're angry, because they endured all of that. They, they submitted to all that, whatever, and it changed, and it's not the same anymore, and it's not fair. So they're bitter. They're going to go to hell. Because we found a more scriptural method of communicating this stuff. Because the Lord showed us it's not about rules. It's about relationship. 
When I say it's not about rules, what we believe is right and wrong didn't change. It hasn't changed. What we believe is separation unto God and not separation. That hasn't changed. But all of that is supposed to be the product of a relationship, not a relationship. That, because that's religion. Rule keeping is religion. I've had people say to me, well, you know, what you folk, what you people preach is, you know, you know, that's always what you people, but they're looking at me. But what you people preach is so restrictive. Well, I, I either hope you're not married or I wouldn't want to be in your marriage. Cause let me tell you something right now. <laughs> there is nothing more restrictive than marriage. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Rules? Oh, they're not rules. They're expectations. You talk about shalls and shall nots. Marriage is full of shalls and shall not. People line up to get married. Are you kidding me? So God somehow has a problem, an unrealistic problems, that he expects his your relationship with him and his with you to have the same concept. Because what are the restrictions all about? Just what it really is, boil down to this, it's, it's just how you express that this is the person I've chosen and they've chosen me and we're committed to one another and everything else is secondary, naturally speaking. I love my sons. I love my daughters. I love my grandchildren. I love all of them. But I didn't take a vow to be a father or a father-in-law or a grandfather. I didn't take a vow to do that. I did not stand before God and vow to be a father or a father-in-law or a grandfather or a great-great-grandfather or whatever. I didn't I'd take any vows to do that. I didn't. And I've done my best to continue to do my best to be a good dad and a dad-dad and whatever. But I promise you this right now. If I succeed or fail, I did the best I could. <laughs> but that's not, I, I'm not, I don't mean that casually, but the point I'm making is I didn't make a vow to do it. I mean, I, I realize that some people have children because they were trying to. But most children are, are a product of a relationship being expressed. Biblically. <clears throat> because if that was the case, then there would be a plan mapped out. Okay, procreate on this day and you will have a baby. Nah. You don't ever know when it worked. I'm not trying to be... You know, with some of what some of y'all are watching, you're giggling at this. Excuse me, sorry, because I'm not trying to be funny. The very fact that he doesn't let us know when it worked proves that it's not first and foremost about procreation. In fact, <laughs> in fact. If you go to, uh, oh, come on now. 
it's it's right there. I see it. First <laughs> uh, Corinthians chapter six. Uh, it says that we should not join the temple of God to a harlot. Now we know what happens between a man and a harlot. There's a, a physical intimate joining. And then just a couple of verses later it says, He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. The word is the same word. And it's the same idea. Because the Lord's spirit comes into my spirit. And we become one. And God intends for this oneness to be there. It's, it's not everything the relationship is about, but it's an expression of that intimacy. That's why I've said all along, the relationship of the branch to the vine, it's not, it's a different metaphor, but it's still the same principle. The relationship with the, to, of the vine and the branch is what determines the fruit out here. The focus is not on the fruit. That's, that's, that's the result. The focus is on the relationship. If the, if the connection is sound, healthy, whole, correct, fruit's automatic. This, these are principles. God is, God is a God of principles and patterns. These are eternal principles. They're eternal principles. Children aren't the goal. They're the byproduct of a relationship. That's why, that's why Hannah said, give me children lest I die. Her rival, who was her husband's other wife, and thank God all that's different today. I don't know how they did that. Praise God. Oh, Lord have mercy. <sighs> anyway. That's another story, and I don't want to get too far off of that. But thank God the Scripture says a bishop should be the husband of one wife. Amen. Sister Wright, you can close your mouth now. Yeah. It just says muscles contract, pull the jaw up. Okay. I don't know how they did that in the Old Testament. But one wife was having children, which proves there was nothing wrong with the husband. Hannah wasn't having anything. There was no children. But he was giving her everything he gave to, I think the way you pronounce his name is Elkanah. Everything he gave to the first wife, he gave to Hannah. She got an equal share, even though she had no children. And, 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 and but she's fretting over the fact she didn't have any children. And you can put all kind of reasons on that if you want to. But bottom line, it is the, it's the, the living proof of love. Now I realize that children are born for a lot of different reasons as a product of a lot of different coming together that's not right, not whatever. Okay. But bottom line, if the Lord tarries and I pass from this life, there's going to be two and then right now seven. And who knows how many of those seven are going to have. That's going to be a proof that I loved my wife. An eternal proof. Not just a natural proof. Because when that 
when that child came out of that womb, it was, the body was alive. But when the breath of life entered that body as it, after it was born, it became a living soul. Now that doesn't take away from the fact abortion's wrong because that fetus is alive. But that, that fetus does not become a living soul till it breathes. It is a body. It is alive. It is murder to take that life on purpose because it's inconvenient. That's murder. But that's not a living soul till it breathes. It takes God's breath entering into the body of a human for the soul to come into existence. But once that happens, that's an eternal thing. Because if that wasn't the case, then two human beings could make any, could impact eternity without God's involvement? No. Man, a woman could come together and create the body, just like God did with his fingers out of the dust of the earth in the garden. But, God coming into that child after it comes out of the womb, that creates the living soul. So, not only is there a memorial to my wife, to my love for my wife and hers for me, because of two men who are living in this life now. But their souls are eternal. So our relationship has eternal memorials to it. That's what it's about, see. That's what it's about. And, and relationship is the basis for all of this. And again, there's no more restrictive relationship in this world than husband-wife relationship, naturally speaking, in this world. It, it's restrictive. <laughs> I mean, Jesus said, for, in the Old Testament, he said, thou shalt not commit adultery. In the, in the Gospels, he says, if you look on a woman to lust after her in your heart, you commit adultery. In the marriage, it says, don't look at all. I don't care what's going on inside. I don't care whether you're lusting or not. Don't look. Now, you tell me which is the most restrictive of those three. You, you guys, you can stay still all you want, but you know that's the expectation. Don't, don't look, don't look. It's restrictive. But here's the problem. If it was, if marriage was just about rules, then why is it a woman is not satisfied just because you don't commit adultery? Well, you should be happy. I don't commit adultery. And I don't look at women, so you should be happy. No, no, no. There are other expectations. I expect you to love me. I expect you to cherish me. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. No matter how well the negative expectations are met, thou shalt not, the marriage doesn't work if the positive expectations aren't met. So therefore, and I like the words expectations because it's not really a rule. Now, <laughs> some would like to make them laws, but they're not really laws. God made the laws. But, the, <laughs> but there are expectations. 
You know, there is no law that says thou shalt take out the garbage. God didn't say that. But if you don't believe, she's got that expectation. But see, mine is the most manipulative kind there is. She never says, take out the garbage. She says, I'll take it out. That's what she said to me Wednesday. I know you're sick, so I'll take the garbage out. She she knew good and well. She knew I would, I would have to be have IVs and everything else hooked up to me to let her take the garbage out. I'll show you I'm taking the garbage out. She sat back and just smiled. Worked. Yeah, it worked. Yeah. Now, if she told me, I don't care if you're sick, get up and take the garbage out. Now, we got a different story here. No, that one isn't going to work. But I know you're sick, and so just, 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 and I was sick. Just sit there. It's okay. I'll take care. I'll take, I'll take garbage. Relationship. It's relationship. Okay? Let me, I got to go on here. No, let me finish reading this. Verse 16 of uh, chapter 14, John. John 14, 16. And I will pray the Father, he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you. And shall be in you. I will not leave you. Excuse me. I will not leave you comfortless. And the Greek is there. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. I will come to you. Yet a little while the world seeth me no more. But you see me because I live. You shall live also. At that day you shall know that I am in my, my father. And ye in me and I in you. He that hath command, my commandments and keepeth them. He it is. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them. He it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Do you, you see the relationship all here? Again, uh, whoever fears me will keep my... No, 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 no. I said this recently. I think it was actually in the men's conference. Many, many people come to God initially out of fear. They don't want to go to hell. They don't want to be lost, etc., 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 and that's, va- that's a valid reason to come to God. But if you don't transition at some point, the sooner the better, in your coming to God from obeying God out of fear. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. But that, that's what gets you away from evil. That, that begins your wisdom and knowledge. But there's got to be a transition here from from the, the fear of, of, of the results of violating the word of God, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, to doing this because you know him, because you love him, because you want to please him. And of course, the old flesh rises up and says, well, what do I get out of that? Well, bottom line is, 
Love is not what you get. Love is what you give. And God is love. He can't out-love God. But if I'm serving God as a out of religion, out of, uh, out of rule-keeping, I'm keeping rules here, okay? I'm serving God because I'm rule-keeping. And I'm a good religionist because I keep the rules. I do the shalls. I don't do the shall nots. I mean, I'm sorry, that doesn't have anything to do with knowing him. Now, let me say this quickly. When a person, for new, for children, children obey. You don't have to explain. You know, a kid says, why? And you say, because I say so. That is valid parenting for children under 12. It's valid. First of all, I don't mean to be offensive. But that very few kids under 12 even could, can understand the nuances of why this and that. And I'm not trying to insult children. I'm just simply saying, I mean, how do you explain to a five-year-old they shouldn't be playing to that, with that knife? How do you explain that? How do you get across to a child? Stop! You almost stepped in that street without looking. Well, I don't see anything. You didn't look. Why? Why? Do this. Why? Don't do this. Why? You, you can't, you don't take the time to explain all that to a child. That child has to learn how to obey. But as a parent, you understand. If you have any hope of your child living the way that child should live once they're no longer a child, at some point, you better start giving some explanations as to why. There better be some time spent where you sit down with that child and you begin to explain, not not shaming the child, but explaining the, to the child why you live like that, why you made those choices, why this is positive and why this is negative. There better be a point because let me tell you something. You send them off to college... <laughs> not my child. Yeah, famous last words of almost every parent there is. Not my child. Let me tell you something. I don't think there's any one of us as a parent that would truly, truly want to see or hear, hear the thoughts of our 13 to 20-year-old 24-7. And there's not one of us as a parent that would want to see the actions of our 13 to 20 year old 24 seven. And I don't care who you are. If you make this about rules and regulations and doing right and wrong and, and do it because I say so and this is the way we are and you've never taken the time to explain why and you can't do that one time. It doesn't take doing it one time. Well, you, uh, okay, then I'll have a care group with my kids. and Yeah, right. That works. That really works. That's not the way you do it. You wait, you watch, you sense opportunities, and the door opens, and you walk through the door. And when it closes, you stop. And you keep watching, and the door opens again, and the, it, something comes up, or a situation happens that they know about, and you talk about that situation, so you're not talking about them. 
And, and you do that. And, and, and you do that until at some point in time, which doesn't happen right away. In fact, usually it takes a lot longer than you'd ever hope it would. At some point, your values become their values. At some point. Because you hear me right now. You, you can enforce rules, but you can't enforce values. You communicate the values and the why of those values, and you pray hard, and you do that often enough that hopefully at some point, that child decides to take ownership of those values and make them their own. Let me tell you something. The environment, I graduated from high school on the 5th of June, 1964. On the 30th of June, not even a full month later, 1964, I got out of the car in the parking lot of the third wing of Bancroft Hall, U.S. Naval Academy, kissed my mother, hugged my dad, said goodbye, and never lived at home again the rest of my life. I didn't know that that day, neither did they. And you hear me. The environment I walked into, locked behind those walls with them having no way of knowing what I was doing and not doing, whatever I was was going to come out. I don't care what they were. It doesn't matter what they were. That's long, that, time, that, that ship has sailed. That's long since past. Whatever I was was what I was going to live. And not only that, the pressure to fit in. You, you don't know peer pressure till you live with people like that every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You, you don't know, you don't know peer pressure. And they, and, and they get together in their groups so and they're going to go off and they invite you to go, but you can't go because you know where they're going and what they're going to be doing. So you stay home or home. You stay in your room. I didn't stay in my room because I was afraid of my mom and dad finding out. I stayed in that room because it was my values. Well, I hadn't been there. Academic year hadn't started. It was like October. And it was time for us to be, uh, at brand new midshipmen. You know, you're being, you're, in four years, you're going to be by act of Congress an officer and the gentleman. And they're, the, being the officer side, that's one thing. But being a gentleman doesn't mean just saying uh, uh, hello and yes, sir, and thank you. They expect that, you know, we, we practiced. We had formal dinners where we practiced how to have a formal dinner. We dressed up to know what, I'm telling you the truth. We had formal dinners where you practiced how to be in a formal setting, what the manners were. Which fork to use? Which knife, spoon to use? We practiced all that. We had a book on etiquette. Because when we left there, we were supposed to be gentlemen. And part of being a gentleman was learning how to dance. Ballroom lit dance. So there were mandatory dance lessons. I've got, I've got the, uh, the, the letter to this day. I wrote a, uh, I wrote a letter to my company officer, and I, I explained that it was against my personal convictions to dance. 
and that uh, I felt so strongly about this that I'm requesting to be exempted from the dancing. Uh, and if you if you choose not to, I put this on the letter. If you choose not to grant me the exemption, this is my letter of resignation from the Naval Academy. Your choice. Ball's in your court. You either let me live by my convictions or I'm out of here. I didn't write it in any way to judge anybody that danced. It was me. It was my personal convictions, my personal faith. And I put that on the line. Not because my mother said. Not because my preacher said. And, I, you know, you, don't, don't forget something here, okay? It wasn't easy to get in there, and I had just gone through two months of plebe summer. And and then, you know, the, 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 the brigade is coming. That's academic year starting, meaning all the upperclassmen. During the summer, we outnumbered the upperclassmen 10, 12 to 1. When the brigade got there, we were going to be outnumbered 3 to 1. Three of them to one of us. And it was bad. And I survived all of that and put all of that on the line by saying, this is it. This is my conviction. Well, when I got it back, my company officer had recommended rejecting my request. My battalion officer recommended rejecting my request. But when it got all the way up to the commandant, he said, request granted. Every single person all the way up to him had rejected my request, which meant I was out of there. I didn't know that. They just passed it up the chain of command. But when it got to him, I guess it had to be God, I guess, because he said, okay. Well, you know something right now? I was actually in some ways the envy of some guys because uh, guys didn't want to go to dancing lessons. They didn't. And of course, of course, we didn't dance with each other. So they always, I don't know where they got these girls from, but there were girls that came to dance with us in these dancing classes. And every one of them was looking to marry an officer. They weren't there for the fellowship. They were looking for a ring and a guaranteed lifestyle. Well, I was spared all that. So there were, and we weren't allowed to date. You couldn't date for the first year at all. Still, to my knowledge, unless it's gotten really easy. <clears throat> we, we, you, you couldn't date. So here's was here was an opportunity not only to see a girl, you could hold her in your arms. First of all, there were some guys didn't understand what was wrong with me. You must be crazy. You don't want to do that? No, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Why? Well, my thought to to them is, are you stupid? So you want to hold this girl in your arms and feel nothing? I don't need that. My mother didn't sit me down every day and say, thou shalt not dance, thou shalt not dance, thou shalt not dance, thou shalt not dance, thou shalt not dance. She didn't do that with me. She didn't do that with me. But somewhere in that process, 
something was put in here. And I, I wouldn't care if every Pentecostal in the country, if God suddenly spoke to the, all the Pentecostals said, you can now go to dances. This was in me. This is who I was. I mean, back then, <laughs> I had two roommates and both of them smoked. I was raised in the house with a dad that smoked. I did not smoke because I was afraid of going to hell. I didn't smoke because I didn't want to. Because that became a part of me. I didn't want to do that. And and uh, you you got to understand something. <laughs> Let me tell you how long ago this was. You think the standards I preach here are really restrictive? I was on the student council in a large public high school in Prince George's County my senior year. I was asked to chair the committee to write the dress code for the school. That would be passed by the student council and then given to the school administration as our recommendation of what the dress code should be in the school. There was never a committee meeting. I wrote the dress code. A Pentecostal in 1963 wrote the dress code for a public high school in Prince George's County. I have never preached anything more restrictive in this church than that dress code. And it passed unanimously by the student council and was wholeheartedly endorsed by the school administration. And it became the dress code for the entire 2,000 member school, high school, 10th, 11th, and 12th grades. Prince George's County, Maryland, 1963 and 64. Okay, so when I go to the Naval Academy, less than less than 10% of those guys had ever smoked at all. And probably more than that, really didn't use profanity at all. But the peer pressure was so great that within six months, 90% of them were smoking. And probably 75% of them couldn't eat utter one single sentence without at least one or two swear words included. That's what peer pressure does to a person that doesn't have values. Let me tell you something. Rules are one thing. Teach your children rules, but you can't do that with your teenagers. You'll blow it big time. You got to put that in them. You got to put the understanding in them till they buy the values as their own. And if you don't do that, well, if you do a rule-only thing without ever communicating the whys and, and, and giving them a chance to accept your values, or you go the other way and you don't do any rules because you don't want to be oppressive, you want to play the good guy and the good girl to your kids, you will live to regret it. You will live to regret both those. But you say, well, they're different. No, they're exactly the same thing. The same spirit. It's the same spirit. The no rules and the all rules is the same spirit. Neither one of those has to do with raising a child. 
Hey, I set out with my firstborn and continued with my secondborn. I set out to be their heroes. No sports pictures of picture some sports hero on the wall. No rock musician on the wall. I was going to be their hero. I worked hard at being their hero. I wanted to be their buddy. But I was never willing to be their buddy to the point that I forfeited the responsibility and the honor of being their father. I wasn't one or the other. I was both. And I tried to balance both of those out. Because I knew the day would come. They would be on their own. And it wasn't going to be the rules I preached to them that they were going to remember. And it wasn't how much I was a great buddy that they were going to remember that was going to affect their lives. It was the values our relationship put in. The communication. Of course, if you don't have a wife or your And, and, and let me tell you the worst thing you can do. Well, these are my rules because God says, because the church says. No, 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 no. The moment you do that, you pull the God card out, you stop parenting. But, but God says, no, no, no. No, leave that for the church. You tell them why you believe what you believe. Not what they should believe, but why you believe what you believe. Why you are who you are. What your values are. What you've taken personal ownership of. There are people that are part of this church. Their kids don't have anything to do with this. You know why? Let me tell you why. Oh, they blame it on the church. They blame it on everybody else. But let me tell you what the real reason is. Because... The preacher and the people of the church were the meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and for midnight stack, constantly in front of the kids. You know, one particular man I'm thinking of, he's got sons that don't have anything to do with this. Nothing. I love the guy. He says he loves me, but I promise you this. I've never made a good decision in my life because every decision I ever made was different than one he would have made is wrong. And he was very vocal about that. I know that for a fact with his kids constantly about how wrong my decisions were. So he constantly undermined the confidence of his kids in the preacher. And then he brings them to church and he puts on this game like he's obeying. And he wonders why his kids won't, don't want to come to church? You want to send your kids to hell? To talk about the preacher, talk about the people in front of your kids. Do it. And just do me a favor. I don't want to see your tears when their casket is sitting there and you know they died in a lost condition because you put them there. Is that too strong? No, that's as watered down as I can say it. You put them there. You've heard my sons, both my sons say it from the pulpit. We never 
my wife and I never negatively discuss this church and the people of this church in front of our sons. We work together. We were both in the ministry of this church. There were some things we needed to talk about. But we never badmouth the people of this church to our sons. They grew up loving this church, loving the people of this church. Because we wouldn't let it be any different than that. That's not what I came to talk about today, but it it works. Oh, I'm frustrated. You know what? (laughs) Well, I understand why you made this decision. Would you really like for me to explain to everybody why I made this decision? And tell you, tell everybody all the things I know? The reason I made that decision? Because then when it comes to a decision that affects you, then I'll have to tell everybody why I made the decision I made that affected you like that. Is that really what you want? You, you really want to know all the whys? I don't think you do. Let me tell you why. This was said recently. When God calls a man to shepherd people, he gives that man grace to forget like he does. Because otherwise, you'd stand here and look at people's face and you'd remember every bad thing you know about them, where they were, where they came from, or whatever. You'd remember all the mistakes they made. And you'd never have any confidence in them at all because they've made mistakes and they've done bad stuff. And how do you do differently when you know all of that? You know all of it. But God gives the preacher grace to not keep that stuff in his head. It's true. That's why it would blow your mind how much stuff I've never said to my wife. Stuff I know. I've never said to my wife. Things I know about people, where they came from, what stuff they've been involved with. I've never told her or anybody. Why? Because I got the grace of God to be able to love that person without it being a negative. But if you're not the pastor, you don't have that grace. And so it's an issue for you. That's why gossip, whispering, backbiting is such so negative. Because what does it do? It communicates stuff about people that we shouldn't know. The book says, the book says. Okay? The book says. Love covers a multitude of sins. The moment I tell it to anybody. Now, I, you understand that in our structure, if I know something, I have to make sure that shepherd over that person knows. But I'm communicating it within that grace of God because I know they've got that grace, but they're also responsible for being the primary person to deal with that. But the moment I tell it, without a solid biblical reason for communicating it. And 
we need to pray for so-and-so because. And then you give all the dirty details. What hypocrisy is that? So we, we, we go this far, you know, we, but the moment I tell it, I just uncovered it, which proves I'm not loving. Oh Lord. Okay. Let me go a little farther here. We're to earnestly desire to know God. Philippians 3.10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, be made conformable unto his death. 1 John 2, verse, verses 3 through 5. 1 John 2, 3. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. And then 1 John 5, beginning with verse 18, 1 John 5, 18, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God has come, and hath given, of a, given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true. Even in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. The foundation of all law. Well, let's read it. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. And one of the scribes came, having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. The second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth. For there is one God, and there is one and none other but he. But And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God, no man after that durst ask him any question. And then the parallel passage, Matthew chapter 22 and verse 36, Matthew 22, 36, Master... Which is the which is the great commandment of the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto this, like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. What does he mean by that? That if you separate his motive for making the laws from your keeping of the laws, you accomplish nothing. Now again, I'm not talking about children naturally or spiritual children, those that haven't been saved very long. That, that need to, to obey for their own protection until they get understanding, till they get the opportunity to make this their own. 
I believe in obedience, and I believe that you have to obey even though you don't understand some things, and that's important. But there comes a point where that's got to change. It's got to change. Romans 13, 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For that he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Galatians 5 verses 13, beginning with verse 13. For brethren, ye have called, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye not, be not consumed one of another. James chapter 2 beginning with verse 8. If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin. Ye commit sin. And are, and are convinced or convicted of the law as transgressors. If ye have respect to persons. Oh, Lord have mercy. Where does that put most churches that are single culture, single economic status, single educational status, where does that put churches that only love people that are in one particular group, one clique, one demographic? Where does that put churches like that? Oh, Lord, have mercy. I realize you didn't want to hear that, so I tell you what. Anybody got an eraser? I'll just erase this out of the Word of God, and we'll be all right, right? No problem. Anybody got an eraser or work on that? Really, I mean, let's take that out so you're not uncomfortable with that, and we don't have to look at churches that, 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 that you know, maybe uh, preach the truth. Is Acts 2.38 all there is to the truth? I said, is Acts 2.38 all there is to the truth? Oh, I like this one. Let's just, I'm going to read it again. If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convicted, or con- King James says convinced, the Greek word there is convicted of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. So you obey Acts 2.38, you believe the oneness of God, and you dot all the I's, cross all the T's of the rules of holiness, and you come to church, and you pay your tithes, and you obey the preacher, but you're prejudiced. And I don't mean just racial prejudice. 
prejudice. There are people you don't like just because of the particular type person that is. I would be honest with you. I, you, you walk the malls and here these kids are with all these tattoos and weird hairdos and all that stuff. You know, I'm glad my kids don't look like that. I'm glad so far my grandchildren don't look like that. But honestly, okay, <laughs> but honestly, the bottom line is this. Not, uh, not liking the way they look is one thing, but not liking them. You're kidding me, right? I mean, we live in the world. We, we live here. This is it. Okay? This is our world, and you live in Maryland, and you know how Maryland voted. And you hear me right now. They will be coming here. Why not? Do I agree with the lifestyle? No. Does that mean I'm not going to love them? No. I'm not anybody's judge. I'm just the preacher of the word. You know what? I need as much mercy as they do. I need as much the blood of Jesus as they do. The day you get so spiritual that you don't need the blood and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're lost just because you don't think you need the blood and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. The day you get to the place you think every thought you have is right and everybody else is wrong... I'm not worried about political correctness. I'm not worried about what somebody thinks about me. I have to answer to him and him only. But what does he expect me to do? Love everybody. I, I, I didn't, I don't have nail prints in my hands. I don't have any right to judge anybody. I'm going to love everybody. I'm going to preach the truth. But I'm going to love everybody. When I was young and stupid, there were times, thankfully it was mostly when I was very young and stupid in the pulpit, you know, this is the way it is and there's a door if you don't like it. Well, you know what? I'd been raised on that. I'd been raised on that. This is the way it is and if you don't like it, please continue to sit here. Hopefully, somewhere along the line, the Lord Jesus Christ will help you. That's why we cannot afford to try to lead everybody. We love everybody. We lead the hungry. Jesus did it. Jesus never one time told the crowd to leave. If they left, they left because they didn't like what he said. But he didn't say, you don't like what I say, leave. He preached to the crowd. Oh, wow. Praise God. Let me move on here. Oh, wow. Oof, I got to hurry. All right. The title of this lesson was Biblical Guidelines to Relationship Success. Let me just show you some guidelines Paul gave. First Thessalonians chapter 515. These are guidelines. Just listen to this. Just, just bullet point guidelines. I mean, Paul believed bullet points before we ever heard bullet points. 
Look here, bullet point guidelines. You ready? Here you go. First Thessalonians 5.15. See that none render evil uh, for evil unto any man, but every, uh, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. You ready? Here it comes. Verse 16. Rejoice evermore. Verse 17. Pray without ceasing. Verse 18. In everything give thanks for this is the will of God Christ Jesus concerning you. Verse 19. Quench not the spirit. Verse 20. Despise not prophesying. Verse 21, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. Verse 22, abstain from all appearance of evil. And you do these bullet points? Here's what happens, verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here we are. I want to give you some biblically-based guidelines that are superior to any rule. I'm going to just give them to you quickly and come back and talk about them a little bit until my time is up because there's no way to talk about these too much. I didn't read these in the book. God gave these to me for me. And these are the guidelines I try to use for my personal relationship with Jesus, first and foremost. Anything that I cannot pray while doing, I should not be doing. You say, what are you talking about? I pray on the golf course. I do, honestly. It's beautiful out there. I, I, I've always, always loved to pray outside. Always loved to pray outside. I'm not going to get on the golf course if I can't pray. Now, I realize that some things you might play. I mean, the pastor plays racquetball. And it's a little hard to pray unless you, God, get that guy out of my way so I can hit this shot. I, I don't know if, how he prays, whatever he's doing. I'm just simply saying, if I can't pray while I'm doing it, I shouldn't be doing it, okay? Number two rule or guideline. Anything that I cannot bless the Lord while doing or that I cannot ask the Lord to bless me doing it, I should not be doing. (laughs) Anything that I cannot fellowship with the Lord while doing, I should not be doing. Anything that undermines my sensitivity to his presence and his voice, I should not be doing. Anything that does not spiritually edify myself and or the body of Christ, I should not be doing. Anything that disturbs my peace while I'm doing it, I should not be doing. And finally, love is not what you get. So loving someone means to find out what they like and don't like. Love and hate and give that to them in our actions, attitudes, and activities. It's getting to know that person and pleasing them in that. Now, here's the problem we have. See, here's the problem we have. There's some of you sitting here right now going, That's your, that means I can't do anything. There's nothing I can do. I, if I'm going to live by that, I can't do anything. No, that's not true. 
I've watched a lot of movies. I didn't have any problem fellowshipping with the Lord while I was watching. Now, if I'm watching something where people are naked and doing stuff in the bed, it's kind of hard to ask watch God to, to bless me watching that, isn't it? Isn't it, isn't it really? That's kind of hard to do, isn't it? If I'm watching uh, 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 something that's, that's full of gratuitous violence, it's kind of hard to ask God to bless me or to bless God while I'm watching that, isn't it? Well, I go a little bit farther. If I'm playing a video game, That's just full of killing. You're going to ask God to bless you while you try to kill these people on the screen. I'm not against video games. Really. I mean, I don't play them because I don't have enough time to get good enough. And I'm not going to play one if I'm just constantly get beat. You remember that message a couple of, a year or so ago where... The pastor realized the first, the very first time he realized that Timothy let him win. I'll tell you something right now, okay? He may not talk a lot, but there's probably not a more competitive person in this building than the senior pastor. Well, his brother's really, 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 really close to that. They got all that from their mother. Because I'm really laid back. Now, Brother Barr, you and I have a history we don't need to talk about right now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, let's don't talk about that. That's all under the blood. We love each other, man. That's all under the blood. (laughs) Brother Barr played for Brother Staten's team in softball and, uh, he, he, he and I had some interesting times, but needless to say, we didn't really get to know each other very well in that situation, did we? Our opinions of each other in that scenario was not positive, I'm sure. Anyway, <laughs> so that means if you can't play softball with the right attitude, <laughs> you, you shouldn't be playing, right? It is, you know, that's what we always said. Well, this is, we're playing softball because it's fellowship. (laughs) Fellowship. Yeah, it's fellowship, all right, as long as we're winning. It's not fellowship, we're not winning. And then guys would come out, they'd want to come play, and maybe they weren't as good as most of the guys on the team, and so they didn't get to play, and they were upset. Well, I understand why they'd be upset. Because they were told this was fellowship. And they got out there and found out what about fellowship at all. No, 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 no. It's fellowship. You sit on the bench of fellowship with us because we're going to win this game. And we're afraid that if you go in the game, you're not going to help us win. You're going to help us lose. So fellowship with us. We'll even give you a uniform while you sit on the seat. I, I know. It, I'm very embarrassed that that's the case. But it's the case. It's been the case. Probably still is the case. <laughs> Oh, Lord, where was I? Hey. You'd be surprised at the number of things you can do and meet all these guidelines. Because here's the bottom line, really. As a child of God, 
as a child of God. You set God aside and say, I'm going to go do this. I'll pick you up. I'll see you when, when I get back. Now, I'd love for my wife to go ride in the cart with me if she doesn't like to play golf. I'd love her to go do that. And I realize that there are times for me to play and she doesn't want to go that I have to say, well, I'll see you when I get back. But and that's that's necessary in natural relationships. I mean, I've gotten on airplanes many, many times and had to leave her behind for whatever reason, either her choice or not her choice. But I can't do that with Jesus. I don't want to do that with Jesus. I, I don't need to do that with Jesus. And if I have to do that with Jesus just so I can do what it is that I want to do, then don't, don't, don't question why it is your relationship with God is struggling. Let's, uh, let, let me read this. I'll, this isn't in my notes. Uh, Romans chapter 1, I want to start with verse 26, please. I want to read it on the screen. For this cause God gave them up to, gave, uh, gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Next verse. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lusts one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves the recompense of their era, which was meat. Next verse. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. When you take vicarious pleasure in people committing sin, especially in your entertainment choices, you have identified with that sin if you never participate in it yourself. When you take the pleasure out of their sin because you identify with them in their sin, you become guilty of their sin in the eyes of God. Vicarious sin. Vicarious sin. On the flip side, it's very much like I'm offended. You're my friend. You're my relative. I tell you who so-and-so did to me, and you take my offense. You weren't the one offended, but you vicariously become offended because I passed my offense along to you. We know that's biblical principle. Well, let me tell you something. It is also biblical principle 
that if you're taking pleasure in people committing adultery, in people committing fornication, other vile acts, if you're taking pleasure in that, if that's your source of entertainment and pleasure, then you are guilty of the sin. It is not harmless. Well, there's nothing left for me to watch. Oh, there's plenty to watch. There's plenty of stuff to watch that is not, that, that's, uh, that, that's not, that's not, Made by Christians. There's plenty of good stuff to watch. But our flesh craves pleasure. And if, if we have enough restraint that we don't want to be, take the risk of be, being caught doing that, then we just vicariously participate by watching someone else do it, or using the remote control and having a figure on a screen do it for us. I mean, let's, hey, there's a big, big difference between playing Madden football and Call to War. The thing that bothers me is that Holy Ghost-filled people can participate in something like that and it not bother them. You know what that tells me? They didn't fail, I failed. Oh, I know that I don't care how, you know, Jesus picked 12, one of them was the devil. I understand the fact that no matter how well it's presented and with whatever passion or faith you prevent it, present it, some are not, are going to choose not to do that. That's not the point. But they should be exceptions to the rule. So therefore, if I want to protect my peace, I want to protect his presence in my life. I don't want to, I don't want to risk losing my peace or losing my sensitivity to his presence or losing my sensitivity to his voice. Some of you, you can't hear from God. Let me tell you why. You put too much garbage in there. You've dulled your sensitivity. It doesn't matter whether you're sitting around gossiping. You know why some people gossip? Oh, isn't that terrible? But in their heart of hearts, I wish I could have done that, but I'd never do that because I might get caught. So they're telling the story negatively, but in their heart of hearts, they wish it was them. They wish they experienced it. So we pass that along vicariously. We receive it vicariously. These aren't the shalls and shall not. You understand what I'm saying? There's just guidelines for a person who wants to walk with God. Can I say this to you? If you figure out how to abide by those guidelines 24-7 and never, ever, ever violate them, uh, please come take the mic. That's why they're guidelines. You know, it's, it's one thing to do something wrong, but have no idea you did something wrong. It's another thing 
to do something wrong and know, uh, boy, I missed that one. I missed the mark on that one. That's sin. I missed the mark on that one. That's the point here, you see. I need the word in here because the word is a lamp under my feet, a light under my path. That's what the word does. It shows me the way I should walk. Does that mean I'm always going to walk exactly in that? Probably not. But the point is, I, I know the boundaries. Do I always speak to my wife kindly? No. Do I always do everything I should do as a husband? No, I don't. But I want to know when I didn't. I want something in here to tell me I didn't cherish her. That's that's not cherishing her. I want something in here to let me know you're not putting her first. You're reacting like that because she didn't put you first. That's not what love is. Love is putting someone else first regardless of what they do back. (coughs) It's not love to do something nice for somebody because of what you expect them to do back for you. That's not love. That 50-50 marriage mess, that's a lie. It's a lie. Okay, I give you 50% of me, you give me 50% of you, it hasn't cost either one of us anything, has it? Love is expensive. And I don't mean dollars and cents. Love is expensive because it costs you everything. I'm 44 plus years into my life, out of 67, of spending all that time here just a, just less than two months. It will be 45 years since the day I first met her. And since that time, there really hadn't been anybody else, even though those first couple of weeks after we met, I wasn't so sure about that because she was still 16 and I was too proud. That's the story you've heard, and I won't tell it again. But the point I'm making is, I've been a one-woman man for 45 years. 45 years. 45 years. Four. Five. Not That's not nine. That's four, first digit, nine to second digit. Okay? Four, five, together. Four, five. Or for, from your perspective, four or five. Because that way it would be five, four. We hadn't got there yet. One person. One. One woman. For 45 years. One. Well, how can that be? Well, you can only define that as love. Oh, I know some people have stayed together because whatever. You know, I don't believe in divorce, so we're going to stay together and make each other miserable. Well, I, that's, I understand that. I'm sorry for you. But it's true. You don't have grounds for divorce. You're better off staying together even if you make each other miserable. But really the problem is this. If I'm miserable in that relationship, it's not my mate's fault. It's mine. You know the only reason you're, a person would be miserable in a relationship? Because they're so focused on what they're getting and not getting instead of what they're, instead of loving their mate. Because love makes you happy. Not getting love, giving love. It's more blessed to, I'm paraphrasing now, it's more blessed to love than it is to be loved. 
But let's face facts. We're all human beings. So what is the, what's the most common thing we do in a marriage? We get all huffy when we're not getting what we expect we should get. When it's not being done for us what we expect to be done. Well, I got a problem. If that's the basis for your love and your wife gets sick or your husband gets sick or they get severely injured and paralyzed and they're laying in the bed and they can't do a thing for you, you walk away because they can't do anything? Not if you love them. You don't walk away from that if you love them. Well, what if they walk away from me? That's fine, but you can't hate them. Love's what you get, not what you give. How, how do I know that? Look at Jesus. Look at what all he gives, how little he gets back, even from the best of us. Even from the most devoted of us. Look how little he gets back compared to what he gives. He demonstrates love every day. He died on the cross with no guarantee anybody would believe in him. He hung on that cross, gave his life, died for us without any guarantee that anybody was going to value that sacrifice. I mean, he told the woman, Satan's going to bruise your... uh, uh, He told Satan, the woman's seed's going to... You're going to bruise her... A heel and he's going to bruise your head. From that day forward, all the way through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way down to Joseph and Mary, the Jews believed there was a Messiah coming. Not just to save Israel, but to save the world. There was a Messiah coming. And yet he came and they cried, crucify him. Because he didn't give them what they wanted. Oh, praise God. I'll give it to you one more time. I got a bunch of scriptures for each one of these, but I'm not going to. When I get this finished, those that are interested, I'll make the notes available to you. Anything that I cannot pray while doing, I should not be doing. Why? The Bible says pray without ceasing. If I get involved with something that I, I'm, not, I'm not comfortable praying while I'm doing it, I made a choice to stop praying. He said, well, I don't pray 100% of the time. No, 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 you're missing the point. I have the Holy Ghost. Do you? And my spirit in here is always communing with God. But if I get involved with something that breaks that communion and that communication, to pray without ceasing doesn't mean that I'm literally speaking out loud to God 24-7. Because prayer is two-way communication. It's two-way communication. And that kind of fellowship and communication takes place on a different level, in a different dimension than physical, temporal communication. But let me tell you something. You can involve yourself with activities that that communication will stop. And it won't restart till you repent. Anything that I cannot bless the Lord while doing, 
or that I cannot ask the Lord to bless me doing it, I should not be doing. So if you're sitting around with your friends, male or female, where you, ladies are together, men together, whatever, and you're talking about somebody, we're going to gossip. Let's ask the Lord to bless our session. We're going to tell this tale. Let's ask the Lord to bless it, that it will go as far as it needs to go. No, we inherently know. The Holy Ghost in us lets us know. That's not right. But some of us are addicted and our mouths just won't stop. They just, they move on their own. It's like somebody else is pulling the strings and it's somebody else's voice. You know, we're just the dummy. Somebody else is the ventriloquist. We can't help ourselves. Anything that I cannot fellowship with the Lord while doing, I should not be doing. Meaning, anything that he's already said he wouldn't be identified with, then I'm choosing to break my fellowship with him when I, when I involve myself with, it, with that. Anything that under, undermines my sensitivity to his presence and his voice, I should not be doing. Matthew 13 and Acts 28 both speak of those who were dull of hearing. Anything that does not spiritually edify myself and or the body of Christ, I should not be doing. For instance, smack talking. You know, everything should be said unto edification. Do I do that perfectly? Of course I don't. No, I don't. These are guidelines. These are intended not only to guide my path, but to let me know when I've left the path. I'm 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 really looking for I'm really looking for some navigation that they'll finally put in a car with a male voice. You know I, I listen to my wife's voice, I love her, but there's no other woman saying to me, Turn here. I just, you know, I just, I, I'm, you know, no, no. I have at times, just because I was frustrated, turn a direction I wasn't supposed to go. Because I knew I could go that way and get to where I wanted to go. And I know this is childish. I'm just being really transparent here. So, and, 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 and she says, turn around at the next opportunity. Take your next left. Take the next. Take this next left. Take this next left. And then finally, she says, "Recalculating right not, uh, route." And I said, "Take that." I'll show you who's in charge here. <laughs> it hadn't happened very often, but it's happened once in a while. I'm being really honest with you here. <laughs> That's why it didn't bother me when, uh, you know, that uh, Apple was all concerned about Google Maps because they wouldn't let have turn-by-turn navigation. Give me a break. You know, I didn't need, just give me the map. Show me the route. That's that's fine with me. I just don't want somebody constantly telling me what to do like that. 
I have a hard enough time letting Jesus do that. I'm not letting anybody else do it. Now, I'm not talking about not being submitted. Uh, Praise God. I'm just talking about flesh here. Okay. Finally, anything that disturbs my peace while I'm doing it, I should not be doing. Anything that disturbs my peace. Psalms 34, 14 says, depart from evil, do good, seek peace, and pursue it. Peter quoted that in 1 Peter three eleven. let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. And then Colossians three fifteen said, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you're called in one body. Be thankful. And the word rule there means to be an arbitrator, decision maker. Let the peace of God be your decision maker. If you If you have peace and you're sensitive to your peace, and you begin to open your mouth to say something, that your peace will let you know, oop, oop, stop. No, no, no. Your peace will do that if you're sensitive to it. It'll do that. If, if, if you if you look at something and you start watching something and, and ah, you didn't know it was like that, your peace will go, ah. And so you change, you turn it, you push the button, take the disc out, you know. But I rented that. I bought that. Hey, that's your test, isn't it? But I don't want to lose that money. Oh, so you're going to lose your soul so you don't lose 14 bucks. You Once you watch it, <laughs> how many times we ever bought a VHS tape? If you, I know some of you kids don't even know what a VHS tape is. But a DVD or a Blu-ray disc. How many times you ever bought one? You watch it one time, you put it on a shelf, it takes up space. That's why I kind of like the bite out of the fruit, guys. Apple. Because if you, if you, if you buy something, they keep it online, you don't have to store it. Point I'm trying to make is this. If you're not willing to lose money, don't buy it. Because you're going to lose money either way. Because it has to be really, 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 really good to watch it more than once. Really good to watch it more than once. So the point, again, is somehow in here, I have got to, I got, I got to have peace. I got to have peace, so I seek peace and pursue it. I got to have peace to let peace rule. And this one is probably the easiest to follow of all of these guidelines. Because if you've got peace, trust me right now, your peace will react instantly when you begin to vary from the path. And if I just follow my peace, I will stay in fellowship. I'll grow. I won't, I won't carry on a lot of guilt and whatever. I just follow my peace. Now I can tell my peace no. Do it anyway. But whatever. And then finally, love is what you give, not what you get. So loving someone means that you want to find out what they like and don't like, what they love and what they hate. And you, and you, you live your actions, your attitudes, your activities and relation, relating to them 
applies to that. Now, I've used this simple example so many times, and I'm not trying to bore you with it. I'm just, it's just a very neutral but very clear example. I, I know what I look like. And I know the assumption is that people that are overweight eat a large volume of food. But I promise you right now, there's probably not not a fourth of this group sitting here today that eats less in food volume than I do on a, on a daily basis. My problem is lack of activity, and what I do eat is very high calories, cookies. Okay. So I went all day yesterday. I didn't eat anything till about 6 o'clock except I worked on one of those Nutter Butter wafer packages until I finished it off. Just not not at one time. That's just what I ate throughout the day. You say, you, it's your problem. Sorry. <laughs> you know, keep your judgment to yourself. That's your problem. I could care less. Your attitude's not going to take me, cause me to go home and take that fresh ba- bag that she bought. I never buy them. It's not going to cause me to go home and throw that in the trash, so just keep it to yourself, okay? All right? I can't help you go through life never tasting anything you like. Anyway, I mean, that's all I ate all day. Volume-wise, I never felt full, but I ate enough of that that I just kind of kept my energy level up because I have low blood sugar, and I've learned to do that. And that may not be the best way to handle it, but that's the way I handle it. And so if I don't get me a little something sweet now along through the day, something with some carbs, I get the shakes. So a low-carb diet for me is a casket. I'm not joking. My blood sugar drops, and I could go in a coma. I can't function. So that's the way I do. So I don't eat a lot of food. I just eat the high-calorie stuff. And I know when my wife is really, really, really under pressure, and she's got some things she's planning to do right now. And so she says, uh, uh, would it be okay if I run and get us a hamburger? I'm thinking, boy, go get us a hamburger. Okay. Hey, that's going to be on the menu at a marriage supper with the lamb. Hamburger. It's got to be. It's got to be. I, I don't know. Probably not, but. I just want to make sure I eat my last hamburger for the rapture. Get my last taste of hamburger. <laughs> so I have to keep up, see, just in case the rapture takes place sometime today. But I, I know when she does that, that she is, she's got a lot on her. And so she's just, but, you know, I, I could eat a sandwich, I could eat sandwiches for dinner every day. I can't do that. Sorry, that's you. That's not me. That's This is me. I have very, 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 very easy to please taste buds. I don't demand anything fancy or whatever. So therefore, ninety-nine point nine 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 percent of the time, when it comes to a place to eat, if we are rushed and have to get something to eat rather than her fix something at home. Uh, I don't suggest a hamburger place. If she brings it up, then I'll go eat there. But I don't do that. Why? Because I'm afraid she'll reject me? No. 
Because I know that's not her choice of food. I'm happy to do that. It's not some big sacrifice I make. I, I know how she likes to eat. And I know that anytime she doesn't eat like she prefers to eat, it's because we have other priorities that have so filled our time, there really isn't a time, an opportunity for us to do that. And, you know, people come say, well, I, I know you're busy. Well, what do you want me to do? Sit around and do absolutely nothing waiting for your call? I'm busy. That doesn't mean I'm too busy for you, but I'm busy. Busy. She's busy. She's busier than I am. Shoo, she never rests. I get exhausted watching her sometimes. So I know that when she says, would it be okay if we just have soup and sandwich? I love soup and sandwich. I love it. What kind of sandwich? I don't really care. Not as long as it's not exotic. Peanut butter and jelly, grilled cheese, that's fine. Ham and cheese sandwich, banana sandwich. It doesn't really matter. I, I just love sandwiches. That's fine. I really love sandwiches. Hamburger's my favorite, but I love sandwiches. I, I could eat like that. She doesn't ever have to apologize to me for that. So I know when she's doing that, she's, she's you know, she's got a lot of load on her. Because that's not her choice of eating. No, 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 it's not her choice. She likes all that stuff. I eat it. It's not that I dislike it. You know, and I enjoy the fact she fixes me a really, really, really nice meal. And her cooking is my favorite cook in the whole world. But the bottom line is, and I know this is simple and you're sick of hearing it. But the bottom line is, I do not resent the fact that if it's her choice and we have the time, we're either going to sit down to a full meal at home, full meal, two, three, four vegetables, some kind of fresh break baked biscuit or cornbread muffin or something. Yes, yeah. I didn't say I disliked it now. Come on, come on. I didn't say that. You know, and it, it, we're going to have iced tea and, 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 and it's going to be some kind of dessert. There may be some fruit or salad. And I always eat my salad last if I eat it because I don't want to waste any good room on that stuff. So if I got room left over, I'll eat me a salad. And I, whether you like it or not, I'm being very serious. That's exactly how I eat. Salad is last if I eat it. And sometimes it's last after my dessert if I eat it. That's just me. I'm not recommending that to anybody. It's just me. And I'm too old. I don't want to change. And I can go to heaven just like this. So the point, again, being, and here's the point, the point being that To me, and it is to me, <laughs> it's a waste of time to sit down in a restaurant. Just me. It's a waste of time. My stomach just wants something in it, and it stays so short a time in my mouth. As long as I'm full when, I'm, when it's over with and it doesn't make me sick, fine. But I enjoy, I, here, listen to me now, I enjoy enjoy going to a restaurant and eating, whether it's Applebee's or Cracker Barrel or Stony River or Chevy's. or It doesn't really matter. I enjoy it because she enjoys it. I enjoy that because she enjoys it. And it, therefore, it is not a sacrifice to me. It is not something I don't want to do. 
because I'm doing it for her and sitting across that table from her and not pouting because we're sitting there and enjoying myself. You know what I'm doing there every moment I'm sitting there? I love you. I love you. I love you. I'm saying I love you. 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 I'm sitting here with you enjoying myself in this situation. It's not my preference because I love you. And that's ultimately what relationship is about. So when I find out what Jesus likes and dislikes, what he loves and what he hates, I want to do that which pleases him. Not because it's a rule. Not because I'm religious and I'm keeping a religious rule. I'm doing it because I love him. And I want to please him. Because that's what love does. Praise God. I will share these notes with you uh, when I get them all finished up. There's several of these. I, I want to study a lot more depth because they are, I, it is titled Biblical-Based Guidelines for Relationship Success. And I want to make sure there's plenty of Bible backing up the fact that these are not my opinions. Okay? Uh, we're done. Thank you for coming.